All right, we go. Somebody's ready. Uh, Psalm 96 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, and sing to the Lord all the earth. That means all of us, right? Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. That's our job. Do you tell anybody how good Jesus was this week? Do you tell them that He can save them and give them eternal life? Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And that's little g. For all the gods, little g, of the peoples are idols. They're not real. There's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. He's part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. He's God in the flesh. You cannot get to heaven through Mohammed. You cannot get to heaven through Buddha or Confucius or anybody else. They didn't hang on a cross. They're all still in the grave. Jesus Christ is the only way out of here. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord glory do His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Don't come in empty-handed. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Did you hear that? This thing don't end the way they're talking about. It ends the way He talks about. We can't destroy the world. We don't own it. It don't belong to us. It belongs to God. He will destroy it. He tells us exactly how He's going to destroy it. You can't destroy it. I can't destroy it. We don't have the authority to destroy it. It don't belong to us. He said, the, wor- the world is firmly established. It shall not be moved. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the fields be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. I believe that. I believe that God's creation, Paul said creation is growing for redemption because it's tired of this mess that we've brought in on creation. That's our fault. We've strayed away from God as, as a world, as a nation, as a people. But that don't have to be your lot. You can serve the Lord with gladness. And you can start that this morning because everything we have has come from His hand. Can you say amen? Now listen, here's the, here's the conclusion of what he says. He is, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitudes of the isles be glad. Now in the Hebrew, that particular verse would say it like this. The Lord reigns and those people on the earth should be glad that he reigns and that it's not someone else. That's, our, that's why. Because He's perfect and righteous. He cannot do no wrong. We've got so much to be glad about this morning because the Lord is on our side. And if God is for us, say it with me, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. He's worthy. Lord, we worship You. You're the only one that can revive us. You're the only one that controls everything. You give us eternal life. The thing that everybody deep down thinks about, and wonders about, and hopes for. Eternal life. Even the world sings about it, Lord, and they don't even know You. They sing about immortality and living forever. We do know you. And that's the greatest thing that's been given to us is the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. What else is there? 
We give you praise for that. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord some more praise. He's worthy. We have a nursery next door, two nurseries and children's church. You're dismissed and the rest of you may be seated. Let me ask you a question or two here before I get started this morning. Uh, Have you forgotten what this is all about? Have I forgotten? Has the church forgotten? We've got so much self-help and stuff in the church now that's geared for the here and now, and some of that's necessary, but I think sometimes it clouds out what's really what we're here for. Eternal life. I want you to just sit for a moment and think about this. What would be more important in your life than to someday cross over and have your children and all your loved ones sitting there with you? Is there something else in your life at this moment that's more important than that? The answer is no, isn't it? There's nothing. But yet we can let life, and that's why Jesus cautioned us, He said, do not get caught up in the affairs of this life. don't have to be what we call sins of the flesh. It could just be being called up. I'll never forget this moment. I was in a moment of prayer years ago, and the Lord spoke to me and said, this was freeing, by the way. You have these moments scattered out through your life. You don't belong to the church, son. You belong to me. That was a good word for me at that moment. You belong to me. If you think about eternity... There's really nothing that even compares to being as important as that. So think about your week last week. Think of all the things you've done last week to further things. What did you and I do last week to further our spiritual life? What did you do yesterday? We've done a lot of things all week long, right, to further retirement or whatever, right? What, what do you do weekly or daily to further your spiritual life? And when you realize the most important thing is eternity, and if you keep that in front of you, that changes your perspective on things. It does. We look at life differently. I read an article, it's been several years ago now, that said 4% of 12-year-olds in America, it's probably worse now, of 12-year-olds in America look at the world with a biblical point of view. That means 96% of 12-year-olds look at the world from a different perspective other than God's Word. And that's not okay. Because Jesus said if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, what profit is that? So he's referring to eternity, right? There's going to be a resurrection someday. Everybody's going to be resurrected. You understand that? Not just the righteous. Not just the saved or the redeemed. The wicked will be resurrected too. Now they'll be resurrected a thousand years later. But those who've put their trust in Christ will be resurrected. And then those who die lost apart from Christ, who refuse to follow Christ, They'll be resurrected too, it'd just be a thousand years later, and they'll stand at the great white throne and have to give an account of themselves. And they'll be given their sentence, the lake of fire. So everybody's going to be resurrected. What the issue is, is where you're going to spend eternity. And this was so important to Jesus that he talked a lot about heaven, and he talked twice as much about hell as he did heaven. Now, you have people in higher education and even inside the church. I had this even when I went to school. And it seems like it 
It's, it's in every department now, but when I went to school, because I'm getting old, uh, it was mostly in the science department because a lot of times scientists think they're smarter than God if they even believe in a God. So I had that same issue when I went to school, but it's gotten worse. People who don't believe in heaven, they don't believe in hell, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in the devil, and they hand that off to people and they train them in that way. Some of you heard me tell this story, but when I was in college, I had a science teacher who posed a question, and I, I've, I, took a, I decided to answer. I raised my hand to answer, and I, I started with God. Now, you've got to remember, I was on a Christian campus, a Christian school. And I said, uh, well, from God, and I started my answer. And he said, well, Mr. Robbins, let's say there's not a God. And I said, nah, you can't do that. So you've got to have a starting point, right? So I started to answer the question again with God, of course. And this went on three times. I tried to put God in my answer, and he finally took the question away from me and gave it to somebody else in class. So because I was in college, and you basically, I was earning my way there. You either pay for it or you earn your way. And I just said, well, I've got rights in this classroom. It ain't like being in elementary school. So I took my seat and turned around and looked out the window the rest of the classroom just to make my point, and to let other people in the classroom to take a stand. But it's been around for a long time, uh, people who don't believe in heaven. But think about this. Somebody who's telling our children or you or on television or in a classroom, telling you there's no heaven or there's no hell, they've never been. It's just like the people who... Think about this. Let this sink down into your ears, as you said. The people who are for abortion have already been born. They've already had their day in the sun. It's easy for them to say it's okay to abort babies because they're alive and walking around. They made it. But this, this heaven and hell issue, the, think about Jesus. He watched, he said, he watched Satan get kicked out. He said he fell like lightning. He knows there's a, there's a hell. He knows there's a heaven. He lived there. He's there now. So the one, and, and I said this last week, I borrowed this from our sound people that we get our equipment from, from Abraham. Uh, not the father Abraham, but another Abraham. And he, he, I, that there's more evidence and more proof that Jesus Christ was on earth than any other person in the history of the world, but yet that's the one they don't want us to believe in. More evidence, more written about, more proof that Jesus walked on this earth than any of us will ever, any leader, anybody. But yet that's the one they don't want us to believe in. And he's the one that's giving us this information. He tells us about rich man and the Lazarus, right? He tells us about all these people. He tells us about the resurrection. He tells us about heaven and hell. He tells us they're real. The one who's seen it all, who was part of, helped create it all, is telling us this information. And not only that, just to put the exclamation on and to seal the deal, he rose from the dead, proven both in the Scripture and out of the Scripture by the Romans and the Jews, that Jesus came out of that grave. What else do we need to know? When Mohammed comes out of the grave on his own, we'll hear what he's got to say. But he's not going to get resurrected until that thousand years is up. Because he made himself a God. Jesus Christ was adamant about eternity. He, he told us over and over that that is the main thing. That we, are, we have the opportunity to live forever in Him, in peace and in love, not in torment. So let's go to Mark chapter 8. Let's look at verse 34. Look at a few verses here. Just want to set the table here for some things about eternity. And I want you to remember that. The next time you get frustrated about things here on earth, remember eternity is the main thing. We need to remind ourselves of that. And Paul's going to talk about that. We're going to read something from him in just a moment that will talk about that. Because if we're not careful, we'll let things in this life distract us and keep us from keep maintaining our joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. If our joy starts waning, guess what starts slipping away? 
our strength. If the joy of the Lord is our strength, and we start losing our joy, then our strength starts slipping. So that's an important thing to think about. And one of the ways that I maintain my joy is because I know I have a better place waiting on me. I don't have the promise of tomorrow. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. But we know if we are believers and following Jesus Christ, that we step from this life into the next life. And I'll promise you, I'll guarantee this, anybody we've sent to heaven would not want to come back here. As much as they love their family and appreciated all the things that go along with a good life, none of them, who would come back here? The Bible says, eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither is in the heart of man the things that God has in store for them, but He's revealing them to us by His Spirit. That's why Paul, when he talks about being caught up in the third heaven, he comes back and he talks a little bit about this. Most theologians believe he was talking about himself, that he said, I want to go on. He had seen enough that he couldn't even talk about something. He said, I wish I could go on, but he blamed it on us for having to stay. And I'm glad he stayed because God used him to pin most of the New Testament down. But he, he wanted to go on. He got a glimpse into the glory and he wanted to go on. In verse 34 it says, When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. When's the last time you've denied yourself something? For the cause of Christ. Maybe it's food. Maybe you've had... God's asked you to fast. Maybe He asked you to get out of bed at 2 in the morning and pray. Do something. When is the last time you denied something that the flesh desired, but you said no because of the Lord? Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, I don't want to argue with this. Crosses, we wear crosses around, some folks wear crosses around their neck. Nothing wrong with that, but it's an emblem of death. Uh, uh, an empty tomb is an emblem of life, but that cross is an emblem of death. And so when Jesus speaks of this cross, he's asking us to die to ourselves. And that's a process that we go through in this life, right? You'll see parts of you that will still be alive as you journey. And the number one deal for the Holy Spirit in our lives is to conquer us. That's His number one desire. The Holy Spirit wants to use us. He wants to work through us. But His first obstacle is to conquer us and get us out of His way. Just go ahead and tell your neighbor, say, you're in the way of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and so His desire is to conquer every region of our life. And you're going to be on a journey for that. That's why Paul talks about us being sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word. The more word you take in, the more sanctified you become. That's the design. That's why you don't just read the Bible once. You keep reading it. It's like food. The Bible is compared to food. We eat the Word of God. It's our spiritual food. And so when you eat God's Word, you're building yourself up spiritually, and you're renewing your mind, and you're sanctifying yourself. That's what's happening. And you're keeping God's perspective in front of you. Therefore, you can maintain joy in a hard time. That's what, that, that's what our strength. So food, if you think about the Bible the way we do food, and I've done this, all of us have done this. You had maybe a hamburger or a steak or something, hot dog, pizza, whatever. And you said, and you, in that moment, you said, man, this, I believe this is the best one of these I've ever had. But three weeks ago, you said the same thing, right? Because in that moment, right, that's the way the Word of God is. How many of you have read, I've read some of these books a few hundred times, but every time I go back, I get something fresh out of it. And I say, how did I miss that, right? Or where did that come from? And, and it's the Holy Spirit, just, there's so much in there. And that's how, how spiritual food is. It just comes alive. And, and, even, and so if you think about it, what if people treated their physical life the way they do the Bible, some folks? If I said to somebody, I said, why don't you read through 1 John? That'll help you with that. And they say to me, I've already read 1 John. Don't say that around me. Because I'll give you 
a crazy look. But what if you did natural food that way? What if I said, here's your hamburger, and you said, I've already ate one of those in my life. Pretty soon you'd run out of things to eat, right? And you'd die. Same thing. Look at the God's Word that way. Just Listen, I'm not asking anybody to do what I do. That's Phariseeism, right? You, legalism is when, you, when I judge you by my standards, right? What I'm asking you to do is just start giving yourself to it. A little bit of the day. Read a chapter a day. You don't have <clears throat> read the whole tomorrow, read the whole book of Jude, I challenge you. <laughs> Start with the book of Jude. Read that whole book tomorrow. And read it and just start taking it in because remember it's spiritual food. Jesus said, The words I give to you are what? Spirit and life. So take them in. And do not take anybody's perspective, not mine, not an angel. Paul talked about this. Anybody else's perspective over God's Word. Let it be the rule for your life. Let it have the last say in everything. When my wife and I were getting married, we made some decisions about our marriage. One is that we would never let the sun go down on our anger. And we've practiced that for 30-some years. If one of us has gone to bed upset, the other one has come and got them out. <clears throat> I've had to go in there a lot. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> it's probably been mutual, right? And we also said that the Word of God would always have the last say in our relationship. Not what I think, not what I thought, not what her family said, not what my family said. So we've lived that way. We've, we've lived that way in our marriage, and it's, it's been good for us. But I challenge you on an individual level to make sure that God's Word has the last say in everything you do. Everything, everything your life... You should let it govern your business decisions. You should let it govern your family decisions. Everything about your life should be governed by God's Word. He said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So dying to yourself is the way of life. Now, most of the deeper truths in the Word are paradoxical, right? Paradoxical means they're the opposite of the way we think. If you're going to live, you must. If you're going to receive, you must. Right? So those are paradoxical truths. There's several of those in the Scripture because the natural man receiveth not the things of God, but they come through the spiritual man, right? When you see in the Old Testament, you see all these pictures of salvation with uh, uh, Jacob, right? Jacob and Esau. When the, before they were born, it said, the older shall serve the younger, right? So there's a picture of salvation there. Your oldest person is this natural person, Right? It was born first, and then later you became, as Jesus puts it, born again, right? Your spirit person who was dormant has come to life through Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, and now that younger person, so to speak, right, is supposed to govern, right? So this older man, which is the outer man, submits to the spiritual man, which is the newer or the younger man. So that was a picture of salvation with Jacob and Esau. Everything you see is a picture of Jesus and salvation, starting with Genesis 1, going all the way through. That's why I've told you many times, communion and baptism, they didn't just start in the New Testament. They were going on long before the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Jews were practicing both of those. In fact, Abraham was practicing tithing and communion before the law was ever given. I got one amen. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you'll find out that there, the Bible says, speaking of the earth, it was without form, it was void, and darkness covered it, right? And then the light came, right? That's a picture of salvation, right off Genesis 1. That's who we are. We have no form when we're at without Christ. We're void inside, and darkness covers our life. Then the light comes in, and then the Spirit moves. Remember that? That's how this works. Everything's about salvation. God wants you and I to live with Him forever and eternity. Now what's wrong with that? What's wrong with a God who loves us so much that He would send His only begotten Son to die in our place to solve the first problem we had, the sin? There's no way we could live in the presence of God with our sin. It had to be atoned for. It had to be covered. And I want to say to you, there's a practical reason to that. God's not on an ego trip and just saying everything's got to be done His way, although that is true. Everything does need to be done His way. God, there's a practical reason. You and I could never exist 
in the presence of God without being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We wouldn't survive. We'd die. You imagine going into the presence of a holy God who's righteous, who does, cannot sin, cannot lie, and walking in with all your sin, you'd explode. You wouldn't be able to stand. You'd disintegrate in His presence. So God, there's a practical reason beyond the, the eternity and the supernatural reason that we couldn't even approach God in His home. We don't, sometimes we get a glimpse into it, but we don't, we've never met anybody that holy. We, it's hard for us to put, let our minds go around all that. So God sent His Son, and He sent His Son to, to take our place, to give us eternal life. And if He's hedging you in, if you feel like God sometimes cramps your style, and He hedges you up, and He won't let you loose, there's a reason for that. If I saw one of my children trying to dart across the road, I grabbed whatever I could grab. And I'm not God. Grab them by the back of their collar, grab them by the seat of their pants, grab them by the arm, grab them by the hair of their head, whatever. I did not want them destroyed. And what's wrong with a God that don't want us destroyed? What's wrong with a God who wants the very best for us? What's wrong with a God who's already been around the corner before we get there and He's seen everything and He's setting our life up so that we can have eternal life and know Him. Nothing's better than that. And sometimes it does cramp our style. Sometimes God's doing a work inside of us. Sometimes He's conquering more territory inside of us. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Nothing. It's not the guy with the most toys. He don't win. He said, Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What do you think people will be screaming and weeping and wailing and saying on that day when they realize they're not going to heaven? The people who've not surrendered their life to Christ, what do you think they'll be saying? We need to come back to this. Because if we're not careful, we'll make church a social place instead of the house of God. Now, you know what? Jesus showed up to church one day and he had a whip in his hand. And he flipped over all the tables and run everybody out. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And you've made it a den of thieves. I think a lot of the churches, he could come in now with his same whip and maybe have a little different saying. Saying, this church was supposed to be about me, but you all made it about you. Prosuche is the Greek word used there for prayer. It means it doesn't mean just a place to come and kneel and pray. It means a place to seek God. Seek Him out. And He said, you guys have messed it up. That's how serious Jesus was about this. He come in with a whip and straightened the whole church up. It says, uh, or what will a man give in exchange for us? So what do you think will be saying that day? Any atheist that dies within seconds is no longer an atheist. When I worked in the mines, <clears throat> I was a lot of sinners in there just like they are in factories and stuff. <laughs> and I had a guy tell me one day, he was kind of joking, he knew my position, he knew I was following the Lord and all that. And he said, uh, I know where I'm going. He said, I'm going straight down. And he kind of laughed it off. And I said, no. I said, that's not what's going to happen. I said, you're going to go up and meet him first. You're going to bow your knee. You're going to confess that he's Lord. I said, and then you're going down. Unless you change and repent. Every knee will bow. That means Adolf Hitler. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Be better to do it now than to wait and do it on the other side. Somebody give the Lord praise. Amen. Now why would I why 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 do I preach stuff as serious as I do? Because the world's a joke. They they they're blind and they're leading astray, and, and the church is struggling within its own right to maintain its position in the kind of culture we live. In fact, a lot of churches have compromised. Many of them have compromised themselves over the years. 
So to find somebody who really... And look what he says here. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me... Listen now, this has got to sink down in our ears. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... How many Christians or so-called people have we heard say, Well, I love Jesus, but I don't believe what Paul said there. You cannot do that. The Bible says Jesus was the Word made flesh. They're one and the same. And Jesus is going to be very poignant about this here in just a moment. You must embrace His Word. You are not embracing Jesus if you are rejecting His Word. You are not. And this this Word here is life and health and strength. It's our eternal life. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words. And we're finding that. So even some church people, and you're going to hear this phrase a lot. I'm starting to hear it even more and more. I'm living my own truth. No, you're not. You don't have a truth apart from God's Word. That's a lie. That's a lie. There is no private interpretation, Peter said. You don't have your own truth. That's a lie straight from Satan. This is the standard. This is the way, the truth, and the life. You don't get to come up with your own way. If you've come up on, with your own way, you're headed straight for hell. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. And that way is broad, and, and every path will take you there except for the narrow path. You don't have your own truth. You don't get to come up with your own rules. We don't get to play by our own rules. That, then that's why God is so fair. He, the, the, the rules have never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he says, if you're ashamed of me, if you were ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, think about Jesus saying that then and think about it now. Think about how sinful the generation we live in is. Of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed, right? He's saying, if you're ashamed of me and my words, then I'll be ashamed of you when I come back in the glory with His Father and His holy angels. That's, that's strong language. But Jesus, His desire was for us to get, have eternal life. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, Paul speaks to us here. And listen what he says here because I think it's important because it's easy for us to get in a spot where we feel sorry for ourselves. Now, you know, if you're sticking with me either by watching us or going back and getting the podcast, we're studying Job on Wednesday night. I am so thankful that the book of Job is in the Bible because it keeps me from feeling sorry for myself. And we all need that because feeling sorry for ourselves is a trap. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, say, feeling sorry for yourself is a trap. It's just a trap. We've had a lot of folks that's went on before us. Do you, anybody know who John Huss is? John Huss was a powerful preacher like John Chrysostom and some of these guys in the old, back in the day. They burned him at the stake because he wouldn't back down. They burned him at the stake. And the, they said he was singing songs to the Lord as they burned him at the stake. You remember Stephen in the Bible? He preached the truth. They didn't want to hear the truth. So they stopped their ears up and took stones and started stoning him until he died. And he was saying essentially what Jesus said. He was asking God not to lay this sin to their charge. Now you've got to love people when you're that way. I said this last week. If you don't have a heart for the lost, people who are dying and going to hell, then you don't have the heart of God. That's the number one, that's the number one thing God has a heart for. People who are lost. That's why He sent His Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Let's read that first line together, can we? Therefore, we do not lose heart. That's what we've all got to have a made-up mind. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, how many of you that's found that out? Right? Especially when you get over 50. You can tell, man, this body is going downhill. But the inward man, I feel like I could still... Lift 500 pounds. Well, still, I never did lift 500 pounds. <laughs> Just 480 something, I think. Uh, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And look what he calls this. For our light affliction. Now listen who's saying that. A guy who's been stoned, 
left for dead, whipped, thrown in the Maritime dungeon, and eventually he got his head cut off. This guy was beat, banged, knocked around every way, snake bit, lied on, put in prison, and he's calling it a light affliction. And we get offended if somebody don't speak to us. Oh, watch out now, I'm getting close to home, man. Somebody didn't see us. Listen, this should be a light affliction to us because what's compared to what's waiting on us. That's why Paul's calling it a light affliction. What we have waiting on us, if you think this life is good, and sometimes I do, I, I enjoy this life. I think there are good things going on sometimes here. I know the world's getting worse, but God's with us. We, we, if you've got a family, you've got people you love, things you enjoy, that's great. But it don't compare to what's on the other side. It don't compare. And then Paul says, this light affliction. And if he's calling it a light affliction, how much more should we call what we go through a light affliction? He said, if we go through this light affliction, but it's for a moment. See, he said, this is just for a moment. Why? Because our life is just a moment, right? It's like a vapor, James said. It's here today and gone. We're just passing through. Remind yourself you're just passing through here. Enjoy the things God puts in front of you, but do not get caught up in them. Do not get caught up in them. And he says, For it's a light affliction which is but for a moment is working us for a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. So the things we go through, God's using constructively in our lives. We talk about this, we'll be talking about this more in the book of Job, how God uses suffering sometimes to do things in our lives. And he says, Working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we do not look at the things which are seen. Pay attention to this. But the things which are not seen. That's got to be us. Now I want you to think, I want you to be honest with yourself. You don't have to say anything out loud. But be honest with yourself. Are you that person? Do you look more at the natural things than you do the eternal things? Because Paul's challenging us here. The Holy Spirit's challenging us here. He's saying, while we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. How many found that out? I, I just threw a suit away the other day because it's wore out. And I like it. I like wore out stuff. Does anybody like wore out stuff? They feel better, don't they? Stuff that's wore out feels better. And, and it's, but everything is temporal here. It's the things we do not see that are eternal. Now listen to what the Bible said about Moses. The Bible said he was able to endure. He went through a lot. He was able to endure. He went through a lot with the Egyptians. He went through a lot before he was even given his assignment as a little boy. He was put in the river, all that stuff. Then he went through a lot trying to uh, lasso God's people. They was mad at him, ready to kill him about every other week. He went through all that. But you know the Bible says, and here's another paradoxical truth. The Bible says he was able to endure, hupomene, he was able to stay consistent and hang in there because he could see him who was invisible. Now that's a paradoxical truth. How do you see that which is invisible? With your spiritual man. And so that's what God's asking us to do. If you keep your eyes on this life, you'll get discouraged because they're crazy out there. They really are. They don't even know which bathroom to use. That's crazy in my book. They're crazy out there. And if you just get your eyes, if you watch the world and the wars and the rumors of wars and you watch the hurricanes come in, you watch how people do and how they kill and murder and talking with Colin, how, you can walk over dead people in this country in some of our cities. Walk right over dead people just laying in the street. In this country. I'm going to say something here, and it's going to sound political, but at this point, I really don't care. Do you know why that border's opening at the bottom of this country? Because Mexico is the number one trafficker of child sex people, and, and America is the number one consumer. That's why that border's open. How sickening. That should make every Democrat and Republican sick enough to throw up. That Mexico's the number one 
promoter of that and America's the number one consumer. That's why that border's open. Shame on you, Washington, D.C. Get your act together and turn this around. That should make everybody, I don't care what political party you belong to or if you're an independent or if you're a communist, that ought to make you sick at your stomach. To know that that country below our border is promoting that and we're, we're the number one consumer of it. That ought to make all of us sick. And we ought to start writing our congressmen and tell them it's time to do something about it. Sorry I got on a tangent there. Now let me show you a few things on this screen here. Let me, let me finish this. He says, while we do not look at the things that are seen, the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It'll break your heart. It breaks your heart to just look at the foster care system in this country. How many children? It's an epidemic in this, in, this, in this state alone. Thousands. And then you add on top of that the child trafficking and the children that are kidnapped. And Myrtle Beach is one of the main places. And then I just found out this year that, that Louisville is, a bad, is getting to be bad for trafficking children. And it's just sickening to see how so many people turn their eyes away from that stuff. We need to start praying and see how we can help. And we actually are getting ready to help in this church. We're getting ready to get involved with a, with a group that's rescuing these children. Amen. Now, let me show you a few scriptures on the screen. Let's look at Mark 10 and 30. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with, per with persecutions. You're going to get persecuted. And the age to come, there it is, eternal life. Jesus is talking about people who leave the world and follow Him. Right? Look at verse, or Hebrews 5 and 9. And having been perfected, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who what? Obey Him. 1 John 5 and 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. What's it about? Eternal life. Look at 1 John 5 and 13. Same chapter. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have what? What's more important than that? Nothing. Nothing. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Uh, 1 John 5 and 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true and in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now you've got to let that sink in because it's easy to get caught up in this life and forget that that's the most important thing. Keep that in front of you. Read enough Scripture to keep that in front of you. Remember what Jesus is saying to us. Look at Revelation 19 and 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. That's where I want to work for just a moment. Have you made yourself ready? And I'm talking to you that are watching us around the globe as well or get this podcast. Have you made yourself ready? Have you embraced Jesus Christ? Have you committed your life to following Him and obeying Him? You notice how John said that? Those, or in Hebrews said, those who obey Him. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the wife has made herself ready. That's us. Are you making yourself ready? What have you done this past week and what are you going to do this week to move your spiritual life a little further down the road? And then... Let's look at Deuteronomy 33, verse 27. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Who is that last enemy? Death. We have power over the second death because we've believed in Jesus Christ. You know what? If I die today, big deal. Don't be getting up here singing no sad songs for me. Say, this dude, he's out of here. He got what he was waiting on. Right? I don't want no sad songs. You think I'd come back down here if you called me 
and tried to get me to come back, I'd hang up on you. <laughs> Say, Brother Matthew, would you consider come? Click. <laughs> I ain't consider nothing down there. <laughs> let's go to John 11, then I'll close. John 11, and let's see what Jesus says. How important is eternal life? <laughs> it's everything. My sons and their friends can tell you this, and my daughter, all of them, they can tell you this, that when they would bring people, and I told them this, I said, uh, I would say, what's worse than marrying the wrong person? And most of them just stand there and look at me, and they'd say, they're trying to figure it out. I'd say, absolutely nothing. That's the worst thing you can do. There is something worse. That's missing eternity. There's nothing you can do that's worse than missing heaven. It's the worst thing that anybody can do is miss heaven. And what would be so sad about that is there's been so much provision made for people not to miss heaven. God has made a way. John 11 verse 20 says, <clears throat> this talking about Lazarus is dead and Jesus is coming in on that. Verse 20 says, Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and said to him, uh, and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now that's faith, right? They know. It's the kind of faith we all need. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give, God will give you. And that's more faith. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I like that. Now look at Martha. Now you remember, the New Testament's not written at this time. It's just unfolding. And Martha said... Uh, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Now, that's good theology. We think the people... This is why I'm so on a crusade. I have been for 30 years to restore the Old Testament back to the New Testament. Church, you can go in some churches and they never use the Old Testament. In fact, some of them never get out of John 10. And some... <laughs> it's true, you know what I'm saying. And it says, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And he said, your brother's going to rise again. And her theology is good. She said, I know he'll rise again the resurrection the last day. So that meant they had the theology before the New Testament was ever written. And that's why David said when his son died, he said, I can't bring him back, but I can go to him. He understood. They knew. Right? Job knew it. And we'll get to that in our study. Job said, though the worms eat my flesh and I die, he said, yet in the last day I will stand and see my Redeemer. These people knew it. We act like rapture and resurrection is new concepts. There, ask Enoch if a rapture is a new concept. He had his own personal rapture. That's what I'm waiting on. Come get me, Lord. I'm gonna be selfish with that. Come get me, Lord. And then he said, Jesus said to her, "I love this. I believe the earth shook when he said this. I am the resurrection and the life." Now you get caught up in the culture in our world. That's like a concept. It's not a concept. It's not a sci-fi concept. This is a person. The resurrection is a person. Now listen closely. Whatever's in Christ cannot stay in the grave. I'm going to say it again. It's a person. Resurrection is not some sci-fi concept like they try to get us to understand in Star Trek. The resurrection is Jesus Christ. He's a person. And if you're in Him, you can't stay in the grave because death could not hold him. Amen. Now listen to what he says. I am the resurrection life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And I'm asking all of us this this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? When you die and when I die, and when other folks die, and I've had a lot of funerals the last 10 days, we're just transferring locations. If we're, well, we're transferring locations either way, but we're just transferring into heaven. When you're having your worst day, remind yourself that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. That's what it's, it's good for that. Remind yourself who's in charge. Remind yourself that what's waiting on you and me on the other side is better than anything we've ever seen here. And I've seen some good stuff. I like you all. 
I believe God brought you around me. I believe we're supposed to do this together. And he, he done that for a reason. And we're here journeying together. And here's how they'll know that we are His disciples. By how we love one another. That's right. Let's stand our feet and come to some. Tell your neighbor, there's nothing more important than eternal life. Now, I know everybody in this building has probably got some aspirations for their children, their grandchildren. Maybe your spouse, people you love, that's all well and fine. But you shouldn't want anything more for them than eternal life. That should be your number one. So pray about it. When you get the opportunity, share with them. And do them like I shared Wednesday night about Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that ever walked the earth, was going to be a lawyer. And they, his professor, his favorite professor, asked him when he graduated law school, he said, what are you going to do with your life now? He said, I'm going to find me an apprenticeship. He said, then what? He said, I'm going to get my own practice. He said, then what? He said, I'm going to marry me a wife. He said, and then what? He said, I'm going to have children. He said, and then what? He said, we're going to raise children. He said, and then what? He said, I'm going to retire. He said, and then what? He said, I guess I'll die. And he said, and then what? And that's how he got saved and into the ministry, they say. Because one guy took the time to say, then what? Maybe you want to set your child down in front of you if they're lost. Your grandchild. They've all got big dreams. Maybe they're in college right now or they've got a good job and they've got all these dreams and you just keep then-wadding them. I just made up the phrase, didn't I? You just keep then-wadding them. And you say, and they say, well, I'm going to do this, do that. And then you get them all the way to death and say, then what? Because remember, nothing is more important than eternal life. If a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, there's no profit in that. Father, we thank you for this moment. And if anybody under the sound of my voice in this building or watching us around the globe or gets this podcast, if they're not ready to stand before you, then I pray that your Holy Spirit will just draw them in. Convict them where they're at, Lord, and let them surrender their life to you. None of us have the promise of tomorrow, Lord. I've seen this clearly. I've buried people from zero to 99 and everywhere in between. None of us have that promise of tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. If you hear His voice, do not harden your heart like they did in the wilderness. If you need to settle something with Jesus, if you need to get right with God, then today's your day. If you need to, as a Christian, if you've let things crowd into your life and you need to get refocused on eternity this morning, then today's your day. As we worship Him, this altar's open. Whatever your need is, will you come and talk to Jesus?